Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. As you know the government are in the midst of lifting the eviction ban and this is our conversation with Sinn Féin's housing spokesperson on the reasons he thinks the eviction ban should be extended and what measures need to be taken before we go back to kind of the status quo. So give it a listen, make up your own minds, but I would call on you to let your TD know that you are unhappy that the government have literally made policy that they're going to make more people homeless. They have that is what they've done. There's no there's no papering over these cracks. That's exactly what they're doing right now. We also need to ask you for your support. As you know, the Echo Chamber, the reboot, all of the podcasts on the Tortoise Shack have no ads, no sponsors. We rely entirely on you. So how you help us keep the show on the road is by clicking the link that's in the podcast you're listening to right now. It says patreon.com forward slash tortoise Join us and you'll get access to a ton of additional content, including the, the 1000th episode of the Echo Chamber that was just recorded yesterday between myself and Martin. It got a little bit fiery. There's tons of extras in there and you get all of the podcasts plea free in one consolidated feed. So you so you don't miss out on any of our podcasts across the network. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. We'd love you to join us, but I won't delay any further. Enjoy the pod. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves and Martin, it's episode 999. 999. Oh, I'm going to party like it's 1999, Tony. Do you understand what that means? That means that I've done nearly a thousand of these episodes of Echo Chamber and you've done nearly 300. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a huge number tony it's yeah. a huge number it really is yeah well listen we have we've thrown everything out to the patrons so far uh, we're not we're not doing anything special for the thousands we don't really get along anymore so we're just going to do a bit of a q a with, with you the listeners so throw them in um you ask the questions i'll answer them he'll uh he'll be belligerent as usual uh right we want to we want to rock on it's a busy old day uh because we are joined by Sinn Féin's housing spokesperson td owen o'brien owen how are you keeping Good, good. Good to see you both. Uh, on tomorrow, there's going to be a debate in the doll ahead of your motion in relation to the eviction ban. Before we get into the, the nuts and bolts of it, can you just ask, uh, explain to listeners what you're hoping to do? Because I know you've you've kind of there's been you know, you've made one motion and now there's a, an alternative. There's, there's also an additional motion. What is it Sinn Féin are actually calling on the government to do? Sure. So uh, obviously people will know the ban on evictions is due to end on the 31st of March. And there's a very, very significant number of eviction notices that will fall due starting from April. So what we've been trying to do over the last couple of weeks is put as much pressure on government to reverse that decision um, and to put additional emergency measures in place. So the motion does what it says in the tin. It calls on the government to extend the ban on evictions or the ban on no-fault eviction, should I say, until the end of January, with a kind of a tiered phase-out from January through till April of next year. But probably more important than the extension of the ban, it also calls on government to uh, undertake a series of what I've been calling emergency interventions since I first wrote to Darrell O'Brien about this last October, things that the government could do now, both to reduce the number of people uh, uh, becoming homeless, particularly in terms of ramping up the ability of local authorities and approved housing bodies to purchase private rental properties with um, both social and potentially uh, cost rental tenants in situ. And also for government to use emergency planning and procurement powers as they did for some infrastructure during COVID-19 to bring on board over the period of the ban on evictions, additional social affordable housing supply, particularly targeting vacant premises and new building technologies. And then I suppose the final thing of the motion is ultimately the cause of this particular 
uh, crisis in our private rental sector isn't actually to do with the private rental sector at all. It's uh, a result of year after year government not delivering enough social or affordable homes and over relying on the private rental sector to meet social affordable housing needs. So the final bit of the motion, of course, is calling on them to dramatically increase and accelerate the overall delivery of social affordable homes. We expect the government will table a counter motion. It's really an amendment, but it's an amendment that wipes ours clean and puts theirs in place. And if that is the case, we won't know until later on today or till tomorrow, the actual vote will be on their motion. But really, it, it makes no difference. The vote will be on whether or not to extend the ban on evictions. And that's really what will be debated tomorrow and then voted on on, on Wednesday. Oh, yeah. OK, I, we've, we've known about the kind of political theatrics that were going to happen here. We know also to a large degree this this vote is to put pressure on. We've seen, you know, uh, Nessa Hurricane has written a, an opinion piece saying she's not going to do it. Patrick Costello has spoken out about it. We know there's a line of uh, very quiet independence. Some have been making, some have come out and made their own opinions clear. But on your actual motions, uh, let's let's be honest here, Owen. Up, you're saying till January, between now and January, and then phased out over that time to put these mo- put these emergency measures in place. I don't know if you heard our, our conversation with Joe Pina from the Portuguese government. They're they're under no illusions that it's going to take a lot longer for them to increase these emer- to introduce these emergency measures and the fact that they want to put them in place. I I put it to you that you know this is another sticking plaster on something that needs uh, it, it's triage on something that needs surgery. Well, it's important to understand, I suppose, why the the, the call for the ban to be uh, reintroduced in November. And the reason was because in October, 19 local authorities had no emergency accommodation left. So a ban on evictions isn't going to solve the housing crisis. And the emergency measures that you would accompany a ban on evictions aren't going to solve the housing crisis. What you're trying to do is actually just relieve the pressure on the emergency accommodation system. Uh, it, It is going to take some years and a change of government to tackle the kind of underlying structural problems in our housing system. But I'm absolutely of the view um, that, for example, if government had taken the advice that not just people like me, uh, but pretty much anybody who's on the front line dealing with homeless services had given government last October, the kinds of emergency measures we had proposed uh, then were taken, that would have dramatically reduced the number of people in emergency accommodation. It would have relieved that pressure um, uh, and the ban wouldn't need to be extended. Um, I, I, I've often said a ban on evictions is a mark of the failure of Fianna Fáil Fine housing policy. Okay, okay. But, oh, no, but, I want. But, I know. I know. But, I need. To, I need to but, say. But let me. But let me. Let me, let me make the point. Uh, dull motions aren't theatrics. They're a very important opportunity. One to hold a government to account, and two to vote to force government TDs. Uh, uh, many of whom have been very silent on this issue, to put their money where their mouth is. And if they're going to support their government on this, the public should know that through a vote. Accepting that and, and agreeing with you on on the, on, the, on this, but the, 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 the matter, like, you know, the... The Tarnished himself said we need to we need to increase it for two years. The AG said we'd need a reason to, to see it in the uh, tested in the courts. Patrick Costello used his his doll time to say he he'd like to see it tested in the courts. Uh, we're in a position whereby now there's what nearly four thousand, nearly five thousand people with notice to quit or or households with notice to quit uh, have been received during the period of this of this uh, last eviction ban, and it's everybody's saying we need it lifted but we can't have it permanently. And you're even saying we can't have it permanently. Why can't we have a, a some form of permanent no-fault eviction ban? Oh. We can. Um, uh, and uh, for a very, very long time, we've been campaigning for the removal of sale of properties, the grounds for issuing a notice to quit. I've tabled amendments. I've tabled legislation on that. 
uh, and we're going to be publishing another bill on that very soon. And 60% of notices uh, are where the landlord is selling and they want vacant possession. So that's something we can do and we can do by a legislative amendment. The issue of, of landlord or landlord's family members wanting to get access to the pro- property is a slightly more complicated one in my view. That accounts for about 20% of notices to quit. Uh, there's a small number of those cases where the landlord are themselves homeless uh, or at imminent risk of homelessness. And therefore, there's a need for that to be catered for. Um, and in a normal functioning market, if people wanted to rent out the property for shorter periods of time, a year or two years, and then get it back, you would allow that. So I suppose the, the bigger structural reform uh, in terms of tenants' rights is to actually have uh, tenancies of indefinite duration, where so long as you abide by the terms of the contract, your tenancy is safe. That is a separate issue, and it's one we have pursued in the past and will continue to pursue into the future. But right now, we have a separate problem right, um, uh, to the insecurity of the private rental sector, which is our emergency accommodation is full. Uh, 17 local authorities last week told us they simply had nowhere for people to go. Uh, and therefore, we need a kind of a, a, an even blunter instrument uh, uh, of simply a halt on, on all of those uh, uh, no-fault evictions uh, that in a normal market that you might uh, have a different view of. Uh, but that is temporary. Um, this two-year nonsense that the government was putting out, that's a, a red herring. Don't fall for it, Tony. Um, uh, nobody had proposed a two-year ban. In fact, it was the government that said uh, it, it would be unconstitutional if it was two years. Uh, and I'm not even sure if it would be unconstitutional depending on the circumstances. Right now, there are going to be people who will be presenting for emergency accommodation in April, May and June. In many cases, there will be nowhere for them to go. So we need uh, that ban extended. But we also then need to have those emergency measures that I mentioned to take the pressure off the emergency accommodation. Separately, the only solution to this housing crisis is the one we've all been talking about for far, far too long, which is a dramatic increase in the delivery of social and affordable homes, both to rent and to buy. That's the long-term solution, and the government could be doing much, much more on that. You, but at the meantime, you, we do need this temporary ban extended. Do you not think it's a missed opportunity, though? Owen? You know, if you look, for example, and I'm going to go back to Portugal, for example, if you... And I understand what you're saying. There are immediate firefighting problems that we have right now in our face with people being evicted. And I get that. But is that now becoming the focus and not the opportunity to say, look, let's lay out our table. This is what we want. We want a no-fault eviction ban. Uh, uh, You didn't mention Airbnb at all, at all. And I've had reason to look recently. And you look on Airbnb, and I mean, the amount of full homes that are up for rental on Airbnb is enormous. It's absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous. Now, Portugal are tackling that. Landlords and tax, and this has been brought up by the Tornishja very recently over the weekend, saying it's unfair the way landlords are being taxed. Well, in Portugal, they're after doing a sliding scheme. If you let it out for five years, you pay less tax. If you let it out for 15 years, you pay less tax. If if you let it out for 20 years, I think it was tax-free. So, sell, sell it to the state and get a, ta- a CGT allowance. So, I mean, the, it, it very much feels like this is just another stick and plaster on a problem. And the problem is just getting worse. It's just getting worse. So is this not just a missed opportunity to say, this is the position not just of Sinn Féin, but of the opposition. This is what should be happening. So first of all, and, and you, you raised three very important areas, we're doing all of those things at the same time. So for example, with respect to the reform of the private rental sector, 
it was at the latter end of last year, I set out in a, an opinion piece in the Sunday Business Post exactly what we would like to do with the private rental sector. And over and over again, we tabled both legislation and amendments to government legislation to do all of that. So that's a piece of work that we're constantly doing. You're absolutely right about short-term letting. The only thing you didn't say is that almost all of those properties are breaking the law um, uh, on foot on very good campaigning by homeless service providers, by housing rights activists and those of us in the opposition. We forced a previous minister to introduce quite good regulations in terms of short-term letting, but regulations that were never properly enforced. We have been repeatedly calling, as have all of the opposition, in fairness to give them credit, uh, for financial penalties to be applied to online platforms like Airbnb for advertising properties that aren't planning compliant. Uh, and we're actively supporting uh, the government's uh, legislation to put in place a register to ensure more effective compliance. The only reason they're doing that is, again, because opposition and campaigners have been arguing for them to do that. And then on tax, because there's a very peculiar debate out there in relation to tax. The Residential Tenancies Board have actually done some independent research asking landlords who are considering exiting the market, single property landlords, why they're going. The vast majority are, are, are not considering leaving because of issues of tax or profitability. We have a significant number of landlords who never wanted to be landlords. They got trapped with a property with negative equity uh, and they're selling because house prices are obviously rising and, and that there's a certain rationale uh, to them doing that. Likewise, we had a lot of people who bought a second property uh, during the Celtic Tiger era for the purposes of, of it providing them with a ca cash lump sum at pension age. A lot of those landlords are now approaching pension age, house prices are high, uh, and they're cashing out. And also we have a percentage of landlords who want the properties for their own use. Sometimes that's for very legitimate reasons, like uh, there's a divorce or relationship breakdown, et cetera. Sometimes it's for other reasons. So those landlords are all leaving. doesn't matter what government does or doesn't do on tax. And this isn't a new phenomenon. In fact, this has been happening steadily uh, since 2017. We've lost, on average, every year, 7,000 net loss. But 7, have, we, have we, let me, see, let here's let me, the argument, me, have we actually lost have, them or they have, no. have they not just gone to the short-term rental no. market? So, so the vast majority have been bought by owner-occupiers. But the crucial point is we have lost, on average, 7,000 uh, rental properties from the long-term rental market. Sure, in some places, some have gone to short-term letting, but the bulk of them has been sold to owner-occupiers. So this isn't a new problem. And in fact, a number of us in the opposition have been raising this year after year to say to government, as the private rental sector contracts, and it is going to continue to contract, government has to put in place a plan to do, one, what Tony said, a, a very, very large-scale acquisition of those private rental properties with either social housing tenants in situ or people who could become affordable cost renters in situ. And alongside that, increase and accelerate delivery of social housing. These are things we've been arguing for almost on a weekly basis in here in the Dáil. And therefore, I wouldn't see the call to extend the ban on evictions as somehow separate to all of those other issues. Uh, there isn't a, a week that doesn't go by where the opposition doesn't either table amendments, uh, our own legislation or motions to put all of these things on the table. Um, but there is a, an immediate pinch point coming. Um, and therefore, yes, let's do all of those other things as we have been arguing for, but we also need this ban extended. Um, uh, and I think it's a reasonable proposition. I think it is constitutionally sound. And I think the kinds of emergency measures to take the pressure off the emergency accommodation uh, uh, system are also required while we're doing all of those other things, whether it's in terms of better enforcement of the regulations of short-term letting, increasing the supply of social affordable homes, uh, 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 and the long-term reforms of the private rental sector, which we've never been shy uh, about proposing, not just in terms of speechifying, but also tabling legislation. In fact, on Thursday of this week, I have a piece of legislation that will be debated and voted under the doll to introduce an NCT-style form of certification 
to ensure full compliance with minimum standards in the private rental sector. Again, another key structural I, reform. I, 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 think, I, I think Arla Hegarty spoken about something like that for a number of years as well previously. Uh, it's been something that we've debated before. But I want to come to the idea then, the idea that the government don't get it because we've seen some of the most successful things in this country in terms of changes to how we look at and view things where have been unfortunately people have had to play their traumas out in public and you only have to go back and look at our podcast feed over the last few weeks where people have been telling their individual stories about their rental nightmares and this is the issue I believe that has exercised more people than than I've seen since like if you think of how people got upset about the ceiling, the attempted ceiling of the mother and baby homes report. This is something now where people are talking about, I don't know where I'm going to go. My child has special needs. If I go to an emergency accommodation, I, they can't they can't um, match needs. Someone may have dietary requirements, some may have very simple, um, but just want to stay closer to their school. All of these very, very basic things. The idea then, okay, so you're putting this to a vote. Is it is it not actually politically advantageous uh, for Sinn Fein and the opposition when you when the government have really seemed to be come across as the most callous, as uh, more callous than they could possibly have been seen to be previously? Because now we've actually got them saying we've I've often heard statements about poorer landlords, and you've said it actually on this that there are landlords who are suffering, but no one is talking. They're not. They're neglecting the people who are actually facing those those four three thousand four thousand seven hundred people with notice to quit letters to the point where i've even seen people i thought saw someone in the irish times call it the biggest political mistake that they've seen in 20 years in politics it's crazy yeah and keep in mind those of us who who are constituency tds you know like folks who work in frontline homeless services uh, we're dealing with these cases every single day um and and this has been a constant feature uh, of of our housing system over quite a number of years. This hasn't just emerged in October and November of last year. Uh, uh, Martin is right, it is getting worse, but this has been a, a constant churn. Let's not forget three quarters of a million people live in the rental sector, um, 25% of households in Dublin, 20% of households elsewhere. It's a huge number of people. And the difficulty is uh, because government policy during the Celtic Tiger era encouraged the dramatic growth of the private rental sector, we used to have about 80,000 uh, rental properties uh, pre-Celtic Tiger. At the height of it, we went up to about 300,000. That they, they created this very, very unstable kind of short-term rental sector, um, short-term in terms of the average length of tenancies, short-term in terms of how long landlords, in many cases, really consider themselves uh, to be providing that rental accommodation. And now all of that has imploded. Um, and again, it hasn't come quickly. We've seen it coming for quite a number of years. And government have literally just sat on their hands and allowed that kind of train wreck to advance. Uh, and I think the frustrating thing for many people is if government had taken the advice of people like me, of people like Peter McVeary, of the Raise the Roof campaign, of Rory Hearn, of others, uh, it, you know, back in 2016, back in 2019, back in 2021, we wouldn't be in this position now that that, that central weakness of our housing system is decades of over-reliance on the private sector, and particularly the private rental sector, to meet social affordable housing uh, need, a sector which itself was very, very volatile. People often forget that a third of all private renters are social housing applicants in receipt of HAP browser rent supplement, over 90,000 households. And, and when you use those figures earlier, uh, Tony, the, the, the 4,000, 5,000 notices, they're not people 
They're notices. And to every one of those notices, there could be one person, two people, three people, a full family. We have no idea of the number of human beings that have been affected by all of this. It is enormous. Um, in, in terms of the politics of it, I think Fine Gael are quite happy with this. I, That's you... what I was going to come to own, and I, I was going to come to that. I was going to say to you, look, we're hearing these stories and, and we're reading these stories in the in the newspapers, as Tony pointed out, about what's fair and unfair for landlords. You know, in my humble opinion, uh, the tax situation of a landlord is the equivalent of stubbing a toe compared to somebody who's being evicted losing a leg. You know, it's, it's not an order of magnitude, but Fine Gael... And, and Fianna Fáil have historically gone for that voter. But that voter in the past may not have felt rich. You know, they might have had that extra home that they had rented out and may have not have felt rich. But the reality now is that anybody who is a homeowner is wealthy. And anybody who's not a homeowner is not wealthy. And renters are getting the the roughest end of the stick how come there's no way to organize renters as you said it's a huge block of people a massive block of people why aren't their votes heard as a block so but for, first of all and i think it's an important question which you want to answer but just on the tax treatment so first of all single property landlords get very significant tax breaks already. They get 100% mortgage interest relief. Uh, I've seen repeatedly uh, uh, some media commentators and the landlord's representative groups saying that landlord's costs are rising because of rising interest rates. They can write 100% of their mortgage interest off their tax bill, uh, and therefore it's not a rising cost. Likewise, uh, uh, single property landlords, between the mortgage interest relief and the rent paid by the renter, whether that's the renter from their wages or, or a mixture of wages and the taxpayer subsidies through HAPRAS or rent supplement. That pays for the mortgage uh, and the landlord gets a very significant capital gain when that property uh, is sold. So I, I'm not particularly concerned about the tax treatment of landlords. It's something I've looked at very carefully. I'm, I'm always willing to consider all arguments. Just on it, the only the only thing you say you you said single property uh, landlords, and I agree. But there is there is an imbalance because the state have so hyper incentivized exactly. the, the the professional landlords. That's the that's well. The, there's 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 actually three different types of landlords. You've, yeah. You're single property landlords, and let's not forget the income tax they pay is at exactly the same rate of income tax as everybody else. Yeah, right, exactly the same. Uh, and one of the reasons why government. Uh, to date, uh, has resisted the call from the landlord organisations to have a lower rate of income tax for single property landlords is because if they did that, you'd have a very, very long queue of income tax earners, PYE workers going, uh, 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 if they get a, a lower rate of income tax, why don't I, right? We also have company landlords, and company landlords have existed here for a long time. Mm -hmm. They pay corporation tax at the passive rate of 25%, and then separately, if they derive an income, they also pay income tax. I think what, what does anger a lot of landlords who provide a very decent service out there is the fact that the institutional investors pay no tax on the rent roll, no capital gains. And also when they're bringing new rental stock into the market, they're not covered by the rent pressure zone. So they can ha jack up the rent as high as you want, which is why the new rentals, according to both the RTB and DAFT, are, are so high. And that has created a lot of resentment. The solution to that is very simple. Tax those institutional investors fairly as well and make sure that they pay their fair share of tax Likewise, with the rent pressure zones, when Simon Coveney was introducing the RPZs, 
we argue that rent regulation should apply to all rental tenancies in all but, parts but, of the country. But I can I can hear them screaming at the, they're, they're screaming at the phone at the at the at their phones now, shouting, "Oh, if you if you tax them like that, they won't build those built to rent properties that we need." They're not they're not building them anyway, um, and because of rising interest rates, they're going to be building even less of them into the future. So so that's the reality of that. With respect to Martin's question about renters, and this has been a problem all over the world, right? There have been several attempts to organise renters. You might remember the Dublin Renters Union that Mick Byrne was involved in trying to organise. Obviously, Catu is there, and Catu in certain areas does have some strength and does uh, assist tenants in resisting uh, illegal evictions. But renters, for a variety of reasons, are more difficult to organise. First of all, we can be very dispersed. Um, uh, many, many renters are on the lowest of incomes. One of the reasons why they're renters, of course, is because they can't afford to buy uh, uh, um, uh, and they're spending long periods of time on council waiting lists. And therefore, it has always proved difficult. We've seen this in, in England. We've seen it in Scotland. We've seen it elsewhere. What I will say, however, is actually the voice of renters uh, is probably being heard louder than ever before. And the number of TDs who will stand up for renters and particularly make the case for long-term structural reform for security and affordability in the private rental sector is greater now than it's ever been. In fact, so much so that last year, the, the Sunday Business Post ran a big, big two-page spread about, you know, was the political balance in Leinster House tipping from the landlord uh, uh, to the renter. In some senses, I think that's the wrong way to look at it, right? The problem isn't uh, uh, whether somebody is in favour of landlords and tenants. The problem is we have really, really bad government policy. Um, that has been shirking its responsibility to deliver very, very large volumes of social affordable homes. And they've been uh, palming off those responsibilities onto private developers, institutional investors, and private landlords. And therefore, actually, you know, because sometimes we pe people then start to have this argument about are you for renters, are you for, uh, for landlords? I'm for good housing policy. I'm for a housing policy that delivers security and affordability, whether people rent socially, affordably, or whether people buy. And therefore, I think we need to keep the focus on the government and bad government policy, because that's what's got us into this mess. And you said at the outset that it was going to require a change of government. And you did say so at the outset. And I accept that it's an ideology that you're up against and that Fine Gael do quite like the, the system, the way the system works at the moment, and Fine Gael to a very large degree do. When Sinn Féin get in, if Sinn Féin get in, how fast can Sinn Féin deliver housing? Because that's the key to it all. If you're still sitting on your hands three years down the road saying we can't build houses overnight, forget it. And Sinn Féin needs 10 years in government. It's not going to get it's not going to get anything significant achieved in five. So housing is the key to it. So how do you do it? So the first thing is, is you set out very, very clearly what you can do in the short, medium and long term, and that's of a five year term of office. So, for example, would it be possible to increase and accelerate the delivery of social affordable housing at a greater pace than the current? The government is currently doing absolutely uh, and we've set out in quite a lot of detail and we'll do so again in advance of a general election uh, how you would do that likewise the reform of the private rental sector i mean over the next number of months i'm going to be publishing a number of general schemes of legislation both in reforming social housing affordable housing and the private rental sector to show what you could do but some of those changes to the private rental sector you could do uh, very early on in turn in fact my view would be make your profound kind of structural changes to the private rental sector at the start and then leave it bed down. One of the problems 
uh, we've had is because this government is so reactive when it comes to regulating the private rental sector, they do it too late. They do it in tiny little bits. And it makes the situation incredibly confusing, particularly for renters. I mean, we've had, I think, seven or eight or nine amendments to the Residential Tenancies Act, many of them poorly conceived and poorly designed and poorly drafted. And that just confuses everybody. So actually, on the private rental side, in terms of regulating the, the, the sector better, ban on rent increases, a full month's rent back into every renter's pocket, tenancies of indefinite duration, they're things you do at the start. And on the social housing, like one of the things that really frustrates me is I spend a lot of time talking to local authority housing managers, to building contractors, uh, to public and private sector architects and QSs and project managers. They all know how we can deliver homes more quickly, right? That's That's not the problem. Uh, uh, the delay is far, far too much bureaucracy and red tape imposed by the Department of Finance and public expenditure and reform, and a failure to deal with two of the quickest ways to deliver new public housing, which is vacants and new building technologies. So we know the solutions. Um, um, what we haven't had is the political will to put them in place quickly. But I do believe, see that target of at least 20,000 public homes a year? Last year, when we get the final figures, I'd say government delivered seven and a half thousand new build socials and less than a thousand affordables and many of those affordables aren't even that affordable i think it would be conceivable to be delivering 20 to twenty-five thousand genuinely affordable public homes on average each year over the five years you won't get to the 25 in year one but you'll average it out each year and you'll dramatically increase the output in, do, in the first of your years i do recall uh, rebuilding ireland said uh, an average of twenty-five thousand a year over the, over the five years of rebuilding ireland the, the, and, the, and, the difference is rebuilding ireland was saying twenty-five thousand public and private homes i understand yeah. i'm just making the point that and, and they never made the target once and that the pressure will be the exact same on you guys should you come into power how many it houses did we build tony in 2006 90,000 right and you're right and can i say this um and it's it's one of the lessons like we're obviously all not just involved in the work that we're doing in the Oireachtas in our constituencies but we're also back out trying to organize and mobilize the raise the roof campaign uh, and if that campaign grows and i think it 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 will and it should uh, that campaign doesn't just have a, a job of holding this government to account and highlighting highlighting, highlighting its failures but if we do get a progressive uh, uh, left-led, Sinn Féin-led government without Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael on the other side of the next general election, pressure needs to be kept on, on the progressive government. In fact, one of the things we've seen in other, other jurisdictions, Sweden being a case in point, is that you had these huge civil society campaigns to get the right out of power. They assisted in putting the left in power and then civil society demobilized. Uh, and actually, I think the point at which you want the maximum level of pressure is when you have a government that actually uh, supports the policies, because that government is also going to face an awful lot of vested interests who are going to try and resist that change. And therefore, uh, we're going to need as much, if not more, mobilizations on the street around a radical change of housing policy on the other side of the next general election, if we get that change of government, then we're going to need in the run up to that general election. Two very quick points. So we had Toby Flood, who had spent uh, 14 chaotic months, he puts it as himself, with uh, Theresa May's government as a special advisor on housing. In, and it, it was great conversation. And Toby talked about, you know, the, the quick wins as uh, it was almost like, yeah, it was almost like you listened to it. All, and he was talking about the quick wins and then the 10 year plan. Uh, but he was also saying that, you know, that that. In a crisis, there's an opportunity. With a market correction, there's an opportunity. If house prices come down, they should be down permanently. I'm going to, what's your feeling on that? Because again, I can hear them shouting at their phones, communist, but, um, you know, house prices, we need to wean ourselves off, not just in Ireland, but in the Anglo sphere 
of the the idea of ever increasing house prices being linked to personal wealth? Yeah, like one of one of the big differences between our approach to housing policy and Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael's is we would set uh, reducing house prices as a policy objective, and not just for affordable homes. We need to bring down the overall cost. Like one of the things Toby is very very strong on, um, and and he's somebody I kind of I talk to regularly, and I read his work alongside his colleagues Josh Ryan Collins and uh, Laurie McFarland in 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 Scotland and in England is that that link between uh, and relationship between average wages and average home prices, whether to rent or buy, was well and truly shattered after financial liberalisation in the 80s and 90s. And even with the crashes that we've had, it's never been reset. And therefore, I think it's not just about making reducing house prices a policy objective across the housing system, but reconnecting wages and average house prices and average rents in the private sector as well as delivering large volumes of so, public So are you, going to ch- are you going to change Sinn Féin's position on, on uh, taxing property? No, and in fact, I, I, I met Toby about this recently, um, and obviously he's a very strong advocate of a, of a, a, a vacant site, or sorry, a site value tax. It's yeah. one of those things where uh, economists will extol its virtues, but politically it would be virtually impossible to get yourself elected while you're advocating it. We've long argued for the taxation of, of property as part of a wealth tax, uh, but I have to say, uh, the local property tax is neither a wealth tax nor a proper way to fund our, our local government services. It was an austerity tax uh, uh, introduced uh, to, to bail out the banks and pay for or have ordinary workers pay for the mistakes of Fianna Fáil and power, which is why we wanted phased out. But I actually think if you had a progressive wealth tax, which we've argued for, for many years, you could include uh, property in that in a sensible way. Because go back to what uh, it was said earlier, there are a lot of people out there who own their own home. Uh, and while they have wealth on paper, they don't have wealth in terms of their income and expenditure at the end of each month. They're living week to week because when they get their wages, uh, and these are people who aren't eligible for the means-tested support of various kinds, but can't afford private health care or struggling to afford private childcare or paying voluntary contributions to their kids' schools or whatever, that they're, they're not wealthy in terms of their day-to-day life and they're really struggling. And things like property tax uh, uh, make a big impact on, on those types of households. So now I think our position on that one is absolutely correct. What we have to do is, one, dramatically increase the delivery of social and affordable homes. That, that is so central to fixing this. And two, find a better way of regulating private housing output, whether it's rental or, or, or um, uh, private home occupation, that brings down the cost there's lots of other things we need to do in terms of protecting tenants' rights, et cetera. But this idea of the decoupling of, of wages and house prices uh, and never the twain shall reconnect is a fundamental structural problem that we've had for over 30 years. And that has to be fixed well, in the private sector side. But we also need to address the public sector housing. We need to address that issue on the wealth tax because, unfortunately, whatever way you want to spin it on, predominantly everybody apparently in Ireland's worth two hundred grand, and most of that money is is made up of 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 property. So, if you're going to have a progressive wealth tax, it has to be in the net. The sure, property but, has to be but, in the net. But, but be very clear, right? Like half of of if you take the whatever it is, sixty nine percent of people who are private homeowners in our housing system, right? Half of them have mortgages. And in many cases, those mortgages are still very, very large. So what they actually currently have is they have a debt. Uh, particularly those people that bought those properties during the Celtic Tiger, and particularly in Dublin, where they pay the highest prices, those properties haven't been reset to the value at which they were purchased at. They're still teetering just on either side of negative, positive uh, equity. Uh, and if you're seriously suggesting 
uh, that we're going to be taxing those people more from the very limited income that they have after they pay all of their bills because we have a government that doesn't provide universal health care, doesn't provide genuinely free uh, uh, second or third level education, etc. You've got a political problem. Uh, and therefore, uh, uh, the first thing you should do is introduce a net wealth tax. Uh, and you should design it in such a way as to capture the very significant volumes of net wealth, not just in property, but in, in other forms of, of asset categories that are out there. But let's not get into it suggesting. I'm not. I'm not. Let me make this point. Let me let me make this point because it's important. Let's not su suggest that the family that is sitting on a property that's worth two hundred eighty thousand or three hundred thousand euros in Lucan who uh, are, are two working parents with three kids in school and one in childcare who literally can't make ends meet at the end of each month that we're going to slap them with an extra property tax uh, or, or a, a um, side well, value tax. But, but you've, answer, you've answered that by, by saying about have, having it means, uh, you know, it means wealth tax, which is much more, a net wealth tax, which is much more appropriate. I agree with you. I know. but I, And yet we're here we are facing into already the softening of, uh, of, 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 of the property market globally. We see what's happening in the banks at the moment. You know, there, there's a lot of concerns out there. But again, to go back to Toby's point, in a correction lies opportunity. Sorry, uh, Martin, did you want to come in? Yeah. Oh, last one from me. What way do you see this going tomorrow? So I think it, I think there is a lot of pressure on the government. I think Fine Gael have just made a political calculation to tough this one through. Um, and they look at the opinion poll in, in the Sunday Times on Sunday and, and say, yeah, that, that worked for us. I think Fianna Fáil are under much greater pressure and the independents are under much greater pressure. So the really crucial thing is 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 just to, to watch that space, the Fianna Fáil backbenchers and the independents, and see how close the vote is. But this is only one bit of, of, of uh, uh, this overall campaign, not only to address the most immediate crisis, but to reform our, our housing system. Uh, and there's going to be other debates and there's going to be other votes. So I think it's going to be very, very tight. Uh, I think it could be the tightest vote the government has had as of yet. We don't know what Patrick Costello is going to do. You don't know if a couple of Fianna Fáil backbenchers don't turn up on the day. Uh, and therefore, we'll throw everything at this. Is there but constituency pressure? I do not see how you could be a Paul McAuliffe, for example, uh, in his constituency and not have exactly the same constituency case workload as I have. I, I just can't imagine that his constituency office is not getting all the same calls and having the same single people and families and pensioners. Like it's one of the groups of people we don't talk about enough because numerically the number of pensioners at risk of homelessness or in emergency accommodation isn't large, but it's growing significantly. People in their 70s. I have one constituency case of a woman in her 70s and her notice date is the 1st of April. That is the date she has to be out. Um, uh, otherwise, she has to overhold and go through, you know, kind of from the fire to, to the frying pan to the fire. So I think there has to be a lot of pressure on them in the back benches. I think the opinion poll yesterday uh, very clearly will put those Fianna Fáil backbenchers under pressure. But what matters is how you vote on the floor of the doll uh, and what you do and say inside your parliamentary party meeting in the media. And we need more government TDs to do what Nyasa Horrigan is going to do um, and come out against this policy because the consequence of this policy is increased insecurity in the private rental sector, uh, ever-increasing numbers of people losing their homes. Many of those people won't present for emergency accommodation. They'll move in with family and friends and maybe at a later stage present for emergency accommodation. But also, uh, come April, there's going to be uh, uh, many situations where emergency accommodation is not available and people will be forced to sleep rough or if they have children will be referred to Garda stations uh, in accordance with Tusla rules. That is a direct consequence of allowing this decision. 
uh, to lift the ban to proceed. And that's why whatever argument we have about whether it's for three months, six months, nine months or uh, or whatever, it can't be lifted uh, uh, on the 31st of March. It has to be extended. Owen, thanks for having this conversation with us. Uh, hopefully we'll have a chat with you post vote to see how things sure. are going. Um, interesting. We'll see how it goes. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks for having me on, folks. Thanks, folks. We'll be back soon. We will be having that conversation myself and himself about what we're going to do with the divorce and who gets the cat and who gets the dog and all that sort of stuff. So that's coming up as well. Uh, thanks, Owen, for talking to us at short notice today. And we will talk to you all very, very soon. Take care. Bye bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.